to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development, education, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, climate, and discipline. In general, it provides children and adults with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know you're off track, and connected enough to others so you are willing to persevere. So what are real teachers? Real teachers, especially early childhood or special needs teachers, have been spit on, bit, and peed on more than they'd like to count. Real teachers have been screamed at, vomited on, and called unrepeatable and vile names from children as young as three years old. Real teachers have heard about family events no family would want shared in their classroom. Real teachers have seen it all until the next day. And yet they show up day after day to give their heart and soul to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Today we're talking about the most difficult, the most challenging, children, some who have mental illnesses, those who communicate a lot through their saliva, through all their orifices, and the peeing and the pooping. So we used to believe that mental illness was something seen only in adolescence or adulthood. We believed that young children were too immune to their environment or too unaware to be impacted by the chaos that they encounter. Now we know different. Neuroplasticity changed our minds. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself, both physically and functionally, throughout your life based on your environment. Simply put, stinking thinking, out-of-control behavior, overwhelming emotion makes it more likely to repeat those problems. Neurons that fire together, wire together. The concept of neuroplasticity replaced the formerly held belief that the adult brain was pretty much laid in concrete. You know, the old thing, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And the infant brain was fairly immune to all the chaos. Brain plasticity is a two-way street. Since our brain is amazingly resilient, it is also amazingly easy to damage. Research states that about 20% of children have some form of mental illness. Now, folks, that's 5 million kids. Now, some of you teachers believe you had 4 million yourself, but there's 5 million total. The chances of them being in your classroom in increasing numbers is getting higher and higher. My guess is most of you who used to see one or two very, very challenging children are now seeing four and five at a time. So what causes mental illness? We're not sure, but it's believed to be some combination of the following. Heredity, psychological trauma, biology, and environmental stressors. The most common types of mental illness in children are anxiety disorders, attention deficit disorders, autism spectrum disorders, bipolar disorders, attachment disorders, depression, eating disorders, Elimination disorders, that's one we love, and schizophrenia. Today, I've invited Kim Jackson, who probably has worked with children who have had all these disorders with tremendous success with conscious discipline. Kim has been a teacher in public school for 21 years. She has been a demonstration teacher for the state of North Carolina and Wake County Public Schools, where she taught four-year-old children with mental, behavioral, emotional, and special needs. 
She's currently a sought-after master certified instructor for conscious discipline and travels nationally. I can tell you firsthand, if Kim hasn't seen it in regard to the behaviors of children, it probably hasn't happened yet. So I've been to her classrooms. I've seen it all. And then I turned around and saw it all again. So welcome, Kim, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So what we're going to do, Kim, is we're going to get down and dirty, literally, I guess. So first, let's just get started with a little introduction. Tell us a little bit, a short version of your demonstration classroom and um, about the kids, about the adults, how you were selected to be in this program. Just give us a little history of that. Um, so when I've been teaching for over 21 years now and um, in public schools, and um, when I came to North Carolina, I was a demonstration classroom for the county, but also um, was asked to be a demonstration teacher for the state of North Carolina. Um, Our children were um, selected randomly to be in our classrooms. um, And it and the population of children that I had in my classroom here um, was one that had a lot of challenges with behavior. Um, We had children with significant mental health disorders. Um, We had children with special needs, but we also had typically developing children. And um, it was every day brought about new challenges, and it still does. Um, I am now coaching, doing a lot of training, but I'm coaching all over the country, and I continue to see children in classrooms with the same sorts of behaviors as the children had when I was in the classroom, in my own classroom, um, but the numbers have increased significantly. There's more children in classrooms that have these kind of needs than than used to be, um, and it just seems like it gets there's more and more every year. So tell us about uh, some of the children that and some of the behaviors you've seen and, and give us some examples, just uh, just kind of a broad spectrum right now, not exactly what you did with them. Just going to give us an idea of what you're seeing. Um, I had lots of, well, we had lots of children with autism spectrum disorder, and that's one that you see a lot. Um, I had children that had, um, well, I had one child that had multiple personality disorder, diagnosed four personalities at the age of four. Um, Okay, and what were those personalities? Well, he was himself. He was a pastor. He was a hairdresser. And he was an alcoholic who lived on the street. So those were the four. Um, And they were very, very, very distinct. Um, We had... We could tell his voice would change when he would shift from one to the other. Um, There were different behaviors that came with each one. Um, different terminology he would use. It was amazing. It was amazing to watch. I learned so much that year. Um, Yeah, I saw him. I I saw the pastor. I mean, he was a good Baptist minister. He brought it it during nap time, I'll tell you that. (laughs) He did. He so did. Um, So we had that. I had another child who... um, has actually um, been institutionalized at this time um, with mental health, but he um, struggled a lot while he was at our classroom with aggression, Um, but aggression not only in the classroom, aggression in the home. And I remember mom had called several times and ended up having to take him to the hospital Um, at night. He had taken a fork to his baby brother's head through the crib one night. He had taken a knife to his mom, wanted to see what was underneath her skin um, at night one time. So we had that. Um, 
I had others who just had, there was physical aggression, but there was something else going on too. So some real specific strategies that we put into place for those children, um, just all kinds of different things. I had one um, that had um, diagnosed, he was 88, had been diagnosed with ADHD um, and possible autism spectrum disorder, but that um, had a lot of aggression that came along with that. Um and was actually, I, I was injured working with that with that child. I ended up with a concussion with that I child. was just going to ask you, you know, so uh, have you ever been a hit or hurt, hit, bit, spit on, I have. peed on? Have all those happened to you? They happened just yesterday. <laughs> all three of them in one day. But yes, I have. I have. And I will tell you, um, the one that I was just talking about with the, the concussion, it was amazing that, I mean, it was really, I say this now and I know people are going to think I'm crazy that are listening to this, but it was a blessing. It actually turned into such a brilliant moment, both for me and for the children, um, because what we had taught on the front end of that was how to take care of a member of our school family when they're in need. And so when I was in my moment of need, they were able to bring that and be of service to me. And it was absolutely amazing what happened. The paramedics were amazed. <laughs> so what? give us an example. Tell us the story. So you you, so, you're, you're, you're blacked out. You wake up. And what happens with the kids? What are the kids yeah, doing? Yeah. And so, and I will say, um, I had not positioned myself in the safest place because I knew this child had, had aggression. Um, or had a, struggled with aggression. And so I had I was squatting down in the hall to actually talk him through coming into the classroom because he had not wanted to come in from outside. He had wanted to stay on the playground. And so we were out, we were coming towards the classroom and I just kind of got down in the floor on his level, but I had backed myself up against a wall and that was my own fault. But um, he was completely calm and he we were making eye contact. We were having a conversation and just in a matter of a split second, he grabbed grabbed my head and pushed it into the wall and I was out. I I don't remember anything after that, but my, the um, teacher's assistant who was in the room, she said that he came into the room and said to her, I think Miss Kim's hers. (laughs) And so she looked out into the hall and I was laying laying in the floor in the hall. And so she said in that moment that she actually took a deep breath and she said, boys and girls, Miss Kim needs our help. And so they came into the hall and, um, they they circled up around me and they started breathing and um sh- when they started and breathing and wishing well and i came to and um my head was hurting it was hurting but i was really disoriented a little bit um but then by the t- after a little bit of time they continued to breathe they continued to wish well the pain went away and it was it was a, an amazing moment they never for one time told him that he needed to leave the classroom they never pushed him out he stayed right in that circle as part of the school family um and was you know continued to be of service to me and so there there was no shaming in that moment it was an oops and we're going to do it we're going to try again later um but right now a member of our family needs our our help and so that was where the focus was and where you focus what you focus on you get more of and so we had healing in that moment because that's where the focus was yes you did that's a, a beautiful story so let's go back now let's get into some how you get to that point. Uh, first of all, that's a, that's a trigger for many. So that's hard for most adults to handle. Mm-hmm. So let's take maybe one specific or two specific kids 
then let's step through how you personally handle it, how you've come to where you are right now and able to deal with it, and then how you approach it. So spitting is a trigger for me. I'll just tell you that. It is a big trigger for me. Um, And so it's funny how the universe puts that right in front of you because every day this week I've had a spitter. (laughs) And so what a great opportunity for me to grow. Um, But it truly is about how, how you see it. And that I think that's been one of the biggest growth points for me um, in this whole journey with conscious discipline is, I, you know, it's a journey and it really does happen over time. But when I first started, I had all the structures in my classroom. I thought everything was great. And I was doing conscious discipline. But what I've just learned, I mean, really in recent years, in five, the last five, six, six years is that. I really, really had to see see things differently. I had to change. And it wasn't until I changed the way that I viewed these things that I was able to reach kids that had these challenge or were exhibiting these challenging behaviors. I had to see it as a call for help rather than see it as a problem and just something to get under my skin. And when I started seeing it that way and I could see children just for being precious children that they are and that this is just something that's happening in front of me, not something that's happening to me, I was able to stop taking it personally and then I was able to help them. Um, the way that I see the kids and the way that I, what I focus on is also teaches the other children what I value. So I'm so, if I'm so focused on the spitting or I'm so focused on the, the peeing or the pooping, and that's where my focus is, that's what it, I'm telling children that I value when I can shift my focus to things that are helpful and how are we going to help this child be successful, then that it teaches children that's what I value. And so that's been that's been the way that's been the way that we've been able to reach some of these kids and actually change some of these things that are happening from hurtful to helpful. Yes, you know, so in conscious discipline and and certainly in other fields of study, you know, we believe that all behavior is some form of communication. And when we say all behavior, we mean all behavior. Mm-hmm. So a child who's spitting or throwing poop or peeing on you or someone else is trying to tell us something. And so take us through a kid who's actually been doing something like that and tell us how you see it and what you think they're telling us and how you responded to the the communication as opposed to the the way they communicated it. So today, <laughs> this was just today, just happened a few hours ago. So um, I've got one, he was, he's sitting in my lap and actually I had biting too. It was biting and spitting. And so um, he was sitting in my lap and he was there was another child that was sitting really close and she kept inching over and inching over and she would get closer and closer and closer. And finally, when she got over and she was in his, in his personal space, she was actually touching his leg. He started spitting on her. And, um, and of course she turned around and she said, I don't want that you're spitting on me. And so what I did was I said, you wanted her to move. You wanted her to move and you didn't know what to do. So you spit. When you want her to move, say, move, please. And he said, move, please. 
And I, and then the little girl looked at me like, what, do, what am I supposed to do? I said, so he wants you to move, you can move <laughs> this way or you can move that way. And so she moved at that moment. And so um, it wasn't just a few more minutes and she was inching back over. And so that time he started to bite. He went to bite and I was there and I actually had... Um, I don't know how this happened, but I actually had a, a little tissue that was that was right there, I guess, because I was thinking he was going to spit. But I had a little tissue right there in my pocket, and I kind of tossed it up into his mouth, and it forced his mouth to close before he could bite. And so, and I said, you want her to move. Say, move, please. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, you did. You wanted her to move. You started to bite. Say, move, please. And he said, move, please. And so later I was talking with the teacher and I said, you know that he's going to use these things because he doesn't know what else to do. And I and I think that we assume that after we teach a child a skill that they'll be able to use it after we do it once or twice. But you can't. It takes over and over and over and over Oh, man, are you telling me it's just like reading or math or something that we have to do it more than once? We can't say C-A-T. That's called cat. Let's move on. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Makes sense to me. And another thing, when you have a child who has behaviors like that, that you know that they can be hurtful to the other children, you want to keep that in mind when you're thinking about how you're going to plan your day and your planning activities. So for this particular child, he's gotten really aggressive with kids, but it's because he doesn't have the skills. He's not doing it just to be a pain. He's not doing it to be hurtful, or that's my belief, my positive intent is that he's doing it because he doesn't know how to get the things that he needs. And so it's a call for help. And it's the only communication skill he has. Yes. Right. And it often works for him, I bet, at home. When you spit on someone, they get out of your way. Right. And I think the other thing is that we're in a day and an age where so many of our kids are plugged into devices when they get home. Um, And, you know, a lot of our parents use this tool. I know plenty of parents who use that when they they get home and they've got supper to to fix and they've or dinner to fix for everybody and they've got things to do. They have clothes to wash. They have so many other things that have got to be home once everybody gets home at night. So they give the child the device just so that they can get all of the things done that they need to do at home. But children are so hungry for that connection. And so a lot of times they know that if they do something, something like spit or bite or stand up on the furniture or jump off the furniture, that it is almost a way to manipulate the the parent or the caregiver to put down whatever it is that they're involved in to come over and give that that connection that that's the only way that they're going to get it is through something negative. So a lot of them have been wired that way. And that's hard to change, but it can be done. It just takes a lot. You know, and that accelerates. Uh, so if we take a young child who's who's resorted, I mean, usually we start in our own families with just a little pushing and a little this and a little that. That usually gets a mom or someone over to us. But you can see how these behaviors have escalated. So if, if pushing and shoving doesn't work and, and hitting and pulling hair doesn't work, then, you know, throwing poop and peeing and spitting might because that's that's up in the ante. And then you can watch it as the child progresses. And if none of that works, then you can try killing small animals. And if none of that works, the one I've seen at the top of the chain is you burn your house down. And then then you're calling for help in a big way because the ambulance and the police and everybody comes. Or you try to take a knife or a fork to your baby brother's head and say, I don't know how to connect. I don't know how to do it. But somebody's got to come in here and help me reach inside my differences and find me. I'm in here somewhere and... 
I'm lost. So if you could come find me. Right. And we have to find them and we have to find them the ways you do, which is seeing it differently. And then also finding the sensory ways that we can maneuver through their uh, guarded brain to reach them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's take some steps then. Let's let's break this down. So first you had to see it differently. I got that. So you had to come to the re- realization that all behavior is a form of communication, not just some, mm-hmm. excluding Spitting, all behavior except <laughs> spitting, and that's what our triggers do for us. You know, all be- right. for me, all behaviors except whining are a call for help. Yeah, which the ones we exclude are the ones we can't tolerate. So uh, you do that, then you have to manage. Once you can see it differently, then it's able to manage your own emotional state. Yes, and then, then what's next? So, so I'm seeing, and I know what you gave us a strategy. You wanted her to move because you could see in that situation. But let's take something bizarre like. Out of the blue, a child starts eating his or her own poop. You ever had that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how do we see that? And what do you think that child's trying to say? And how do you decode that? And what do you do for it? Well, this is actually, this is um, one that has actually happened recently. And it is, um, this is one I have not had before. I've had, gosh, I've had so many other things, but this was new for me. And so navigating this has been interesting. Um, this child is definitely calling for help. And it's exactly what you said. It started small with little things and those weren't working. So I'm going to move on to something bigger. And it's so interesting, but, um, with this child um, was in the bathroom and I laughed because I, I mean, what else are you going to do? But I went into the bathroom and the, the child is sitting in there, has obviously eaten the poop and also has it smeared all over the wall. And so I walked in and I just opened the door and I stood there and I looked and she looked at me and you could just tell. I mean, if I could, where it's in her head, I know she was probably thinking, so what are you going to say now? <laughs> and so <laughs> I looked at her and I said, you wanted to finger paint. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Good guess. You wanted to finger paint. And she, she looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, the safe place for finger paint is at the art center. I said, it is not safe to use your poop on the wall. So let's clean this up together. Would you like to use the rag or do you want to use the, what you know, and I gave her something else and she chose the sponge. And so we wiped it off the wall and then we went over and I said, and so I see you've got some on your mouth too. Let's get something and let's wash out your mouth. And it's never happened since then. But do you know, after that, she came out, I took her over and I said, this is a place where you can do this at the art center. You can finger paint at the art center. She reached over and she put her arms around me and she hugged me and she said, I love you. Oh, so you saw, you saw something that no one else had seen. You saw the love that was in her. Mm-hmm. And now once you touch that love, she was able to turn around and, and give it back. Yeah, and it's, it is. It's so much about the way that we respond to things. It is so much about the way we respond and the way we see it. So those who know conscious discipline, as you can see, Kim is taking some of our basic skills, one of the basic skills, which is positive intent. She's taking positive intent and using it in the most severe situations that many of you would gasp at, and you can see the outcome. So, it, And people say, well, we can't use conscious discipline with this or that. The skills are the skills, and they're able to transform people, especially positive intent. 
So let's go into something more on the mental illness now. So how did you approach the kid with with all the personalities? Uh, that's a difficult challenge. And a lot of people wouldn't even believe that a child at four could have that many multiple personalities. But uh, I saw it, too. So mm-hmm. it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we never, whenever... Um, so I was in a building and so everybody in the building kind of knew that they, that he had, he would had four different personalities. And so we never came up to him and called him by his name because we never knew who he was, who was, who he was going to be at the time. So we were respectful of that. And I think that's another thing that we miss a lot is, is just being respectful of children for wherever they are in that moment. Um, but actually allowing him to approach, approach us and then, we would just say, who do we have here today? And, um, and he would tell us who he was. And so <laughs> I remember um, there was one day when we were walking down the hall and Kim Hughes, who is another master instructor who's brilliant, um, was down the hall from me. And um, she was actually in the same building from me. And I remember walking down the hall that day. It was during rest time. And so he, tend, he, he would tend to want to turn into the pastor at rest time, just like you said. And we had, um, it was really loud. It could be really loud at times. Well, but not this particular day, he wasn't the pastor. He had turned into the alcoholic and the, the drunk that lived on the street. So we were walking down the hall that day and Kim came out of her classroom and he said, she came over and she said, who have we got here today? And he said, I'm, and he, he actually, the alcoholic's name was Joe. And he said, I'm Joe. And, um, he, his voice changed and she said, well, Hey Joe, how are you? And, um, and he proceeded to tell her what he wanted. And she was so brilliant. He told her that he, he asked her if he could have some beer. And what she said was, you know, we don't have any of that here, but what we do have is a water fountain. Let me show you where that is. And she took him right down the hall and showed him where the water fountain was. And so it was, we, we would redirect that um, and turn it, we would flip it for him. Um, we might not have this, but here's something you can choose instead. But again, just being respectful of where he was in that moment and then just still not seeing it as a problem, but something that needed help. It took a lot of breathing for us because it was easy to lose your composure. It would be. Um, So there were lots of moments where we had to step back and take a deep breath for ourselves so we could stay composed so that we could download that with him. Um, But it was interesting also to watch the response of the children, the rest of the the children in the the school family and in the classroom. they would look to us for that social referencing to see what is it that you're going to do now in this moment. And because he was just who he was and he was part of our school family, they were so accepting of him, so accepting in whatever personality he was at the time. And that was really phenomenal to see also. Yeah, because what you're using is the power of the collective. Mm-hmm. You know, just like if we had uh, done a negative intent and and tried to make him change into something or make these children do something different or or punish them for playing with their poop or whatever the case may be, you're not only just defining them, you're defining that child for the rest of the group. And then then you have all the forces. You have the, the one child, us. I mean, then you have all the thems. I mean, it's like this one child is surrounded by a whole train of people with a gun firing at them. And the way you're approaching it with the school family and certainly with conscious discipline is now we have the whole school family helping you heal and accepting who you are so that you can move forward. And, you know, in conscious discipline, we call the acceptance like neutral in a car. 
So if you're going to want to go from first to second gear, you've got to go through neutral, and that's called acceptance. So let's go. Let's move forward now and tell me about how do you reach out to the parents of these kids? Because, you know, those behaviors don't just show up in your classroom. These parents have got to be pulling their hair out, too. Yeah. So tell us about a, a story maybe of some parents and families maybe that you've helped and how you could get them on the same team. So I'm so glad that you asked that because um, I will tell you. When I first started, I was not one that was um, really excited about actually approaching families. Um, I would actually avoid it. And I thought um, I had a lot of children many times with, a, with language barriers because I had a lot that did not speak English most years, as a matter of fact. And um, so it was all about the words that I was saying, and I was afraid they wouldn't understand me. And it was that was my issue, but I didn't realize it at the time. I was I would totally blame that on the families. Um, and I had a wonderful teaching partner one time in my classroom, a teaching assistant. And she told me one year, she said, "No, no, you're going to go do it this year." <laughs> and I said, "No, you go talk. You speak their language." She said, "No, no, it doesn't matter what you say." And so that was huge for me. Um, that that made a huge difference as far as working with these families, as far as anything went from that point on. Um, but she's right. It's not even about the words you say. It's about being there and just empathizing and, and, and listening and understanding. A lot of times parents won't help, but we go at them just pushing information when really all they want is understanding. And you have to develop that relationship with families first. Um, just like you do with children. And so what I found was is providing opportunities to be able to connect with my families on, on the forefront really helped when we needed to have some of those difficult conversations later. Parents really do want help. They uh, And many times they're so afraid to tell you that things are actually happening in their home because they're afraid of being judged. But when you build that relationship with them and you can suspend that judgment and they, they feel like they can trust you and they feel safe with you, the walls come down, and then you can help them move forward with things at home. That has been um, an amazing part of my job and part of my journey is, is being able to work with families and getting to know families and watching how behavior truly is relationship specific. A lot of times children do come to school and they'll be, they'll act one way at school with you and then they're a different at home. And um, that's because they know what they can get away with, with who, but working with families and building those relationships and building those bonds with families so that you can create some consistency across settings for children has been phenomenal. Um, but again, suspending that judgment so that so that families don't feel threatened. They know you're there to help support. Um, a lot of times I'll go in and I'll, I'll say, you know, tell me, tell me about home. I never go in and just immediately start, start talking about a child and behavior. I, I've never done that. Um, I think there's more to a family and I think there's more to a child. And again, I don't see it as a problem. It's just what is. Um, a lot of times families will say, I want to know what my child is doing so that I can talk to them at home. But it's been such a great opportunity. And, and I see it differently now that I see it as an opportunity to help educate parents about what we truly do want for our children and how we are trying to do it a different way. Um, 
And I'll have teachers that'll ask me that too. They'll say, you know, my, well, my, this family, they want to know how their child's doing. They ask me every day, did they have a good day or a bad day? And what I'll usually say to them is what an exciting opportunity for you to be able to talk to them about what we're doing in the classroom and explain to them the power of, of that positive intent and teaching the skills that are missing. Okay. Um, So let's role play that right now. So I'm the parent and I'm coming up to you, Kim, and you know, I have a, a, my child, you know, is in your classroom. I hope you know that my child's in your classroom. And I just want to know if that child's having a good or a bad day. And that's all I want to know. I don't want to be talking all the time because I got to go. I got another child to pick up. So did right. my child have a good or a bad day? We are learning every single day. We're learning new things here. You know, he worked in this center today. He worked in this center. And you know what else we did today? He learned and he practiced sharing and turn taking with someone in the block center. And that was huge because that's something that we've been practicing. It was a little tricky at first, but he got it. And we're going to keep practicing it. Here's a way that you could do that at home. So when he he want somebody has something that he wants, instead of grabbing or or taking it, when he does that, you just go over and say, can I have a turn? If you want a turn, ask, say, may I have a turn? And so I model that skill for them. So you flip me mm-hmm. and you did quite well because now, um, now can you give me some visuals so I can take that home and practice? Absolutely. I'll always give them a visual of the skill that we've practiced. And so the way that I'll do that, because typically you just don't walk around and have pictures with you. So I use my body as the picture and, and to model that, I map it out for them. So I model it. I show them how we taught it in the classroom. And then I add the picture with the visual with my hands. And then sometimes if they have time and they're not in a hurry, I'll have them practice it right there with the child or I'll have the child practice it with me to show the parent what we've done. Okay, so you're saying my child had a good day. Now, what did he do that was bad? Yeah, so you were thinking that he was going to have a time that was really rough for him. And so what you what I want you to know is, is that in our classroom, we are having oopses and making mistakes all day long. All of us, the children do it. I do it. My teaching assistant does it. We all make mistakes all day long. And so what we do with those mistakes and those moments that are challenging is that we take those and we teach skills that are missing during those times. So we actually see those as opportunities rather than having seeing them as misbehavior or, or something that we want to stop. We actually, in this classroom, we invite those opportunities in because when we do that, what we're doing is we're strengthening that, their brains and we're teaching them new skills that they're going to need later in life to survive and, and to, to be successful. And so if we, if we want to stop everything before it happens, we're not going to have opportunities to teach them. And so we're excited about those opportunities. Well, they flipped that one into a teaching moment, that's for sure. <laughs> so, so we're going to wrap up here, Kim. So we have, um, if you had four things, let's just go with four. So people out there are, some of them are familiar with conscious discipline and some aren't. So I've got these very, very extreme, bizarre behaviors. And I'm going to call them bizarre because when you get into kind of the the peeing and the pooping, it gets bizarre at times. Um, So either very challenging, very aggressive, just a a, a real challenge for yourself in a bizarre behavior. Four things that that people could start tomorrow and, and think about, ponder, reflect on, or actually do. So let's start. Okay, number one, what could they do? 
So number one, I would say that you want to make sure that you know how to access your own composure and that you know how to calm yourself in the moments that feel really heated and and can feel challenging for you. You're going to take deep breaths and you're going to remind yourself that no matter what, no matter what situation is there in front of you, it's happening in front of you, not to you. And no matter what, you can handle it. All right. So number two. Number two, we are going to see all behavior, no matter what it is, whether it's peeing, pooping, spitting, biting, as a call for help and a skill that's missing, rather than seeing it as misbehavior and something that we want to stop. All right. Number three. Number three, we're going to use the Q-tip method. Quit taking it personally. Again, it is happening in front of you. It's not happening to you. Sometimes we feel like they're doing things just to get under our skin, but it, it is what it is. Quit taking it personally. It's not happening to you. It's happening in front of you. All right. And number four. And lastly, we're going to teach the skill that's missing. We're going to flip it with the you wanted. You wanted to finger paint. You wanted her to move. We're going to teach the skill that's missing. Rather than focusing on what we don't want, we're going to focus focus on what we do want. And how many times you're going to teach this, Kim? That might be number five. Over 400 times in the context of social play. Yes, over and over and over, just like reading. Yeah. Just like reading. And the important piece there, I think a lot of times that we miss too, Becky, is that it's in social play. It's not, you know, the whole group lessons are great, but the most meaningful times to teach these skills are in the moment in the moment when they're happening within the classroom, within the everyday things that are happening in the classroom in those moments. That's why it's so important for teachers that when children are in your care and you're in the classroom with them and you have those moments that you get to be the coach, it's so important to be involved with them and what's happening so that those moments you can capitalize on those moments that are those teaching moments. They're so critical in helping develop those new skills within the context of those social situations. And for those who are familiar with conscious discipline, how do you develop the prefrontal lobe? Problem solving in social settings. And if we look back to my kind of reading example, most kids learn to read by seeing the stop sign when the car stops, the big M for McDonald's, So we all learn in context. So when you're going to teach a social skill, emotional skill, it's in the context of play. I often see, like Kim said, uh, the teacher's over with a small group of children trying to teach them the word cat while the rest of the kids are out there killing themselves at the learning centers. So our best teaching is to move around, watch them interact, help them facilitate their play facilitate those moments when they're grabbed, when they hit, when they punch. For all learning, it happens in context at the moment in which the need arises. And that's where we teach our children the most. So I want to thank you, Kim, for all your brilliance. And, you know, we're going to call you the pee and poop wizard from now on. (laughs) So, but we appreciate you taking your time to talk with us and share your brilliance. I hope you come back and talk to us again. I would love to. Thanks for having me. Okay. And for all those listening, 
for everyone who wants to do it a little better, for everyone who struggles in moments where they think they can't make it through, for all the challenges we face in our world today. Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.